0: Have you ever seen something so amazing that you had to tell somebody about it? You probably have in one way or another. It happened earlier this year with me. Now, it actually happened where somebody else saw something amazing. They told me about it, and I had to share it with others. It was a picture, a picture of a a middle-aged, larger man who was chasing a boar and its two babies. Now, the man was also naked running through a park of people. You can see the picture here. Now, the story behind the photo is actually what makes it even more funny, because this man was in a clothing-optional park, and this boar came out and grabbed his bag and took off. Now, this man realized that there wasn't food in this bag, it was his laptop. So he could either decide to chase after this boar through the park, or to just remain sunbathing. He obviously chose the first option to chase the boar. The boar ended up running into the bush, which the man followed him, and then... The man, to the cheers of the crowd, came back with his bag in hand. The picture's so ridiculous and funny that uh, I felt like I had to share this with other people and to bring joy to them. There's many viral videos on the internet, or we can just continue to tell stories that amaze us, or that we find funny, or they're ridiculous like this. Share your favorite viral video in the comments. And this is something true with all of us. When we see something amazing, we want to share it with others. Companies know this as they want other people to spread their product through word of mouth. When people experience something great, they want to tell others about it. And that's the most powerful form of advertising. And as we look at the Christmas story today, we're going to see that the same thing happened with the shepherds. The shepherds experienced something great and they had to share it with others. And that's our big idea today, is that the shepherds experienced God's glory and then became messengers of that glory. But before we get into the story, I want to talk about glory a little bit, because we may have a faint idea of what that is, but what does it actually mean in the Bible? Now, glory is just the respect that somebody is due or the honor that they deserve. For people, this can come up, and it often is portrayed in in wealth or their reputation or even some of their achievements, But when it talks about God, it's something greater. It's something that's more profound than any human can ever achieve. Because God's perfect nature is shown throughout the Old Testament. And glimpses of his glory, glimpses of his goodness, glimpses of his power and might are shown. It's shown as he leads the Israelites out of Egypt and parts the Red Sea. And and a cloud leads them and he gives them food in the middle of the desert. Or it's seen as Moses climbs a mountain and gets to a little picture of who God is and his glory and he's forever changed by it. God's glory includes his power and his magnificence and his beauty and his love and his kindness and his all-powerful and all-knowing and everything that God is, is his glory because he is good and he is perfect. But as we transition to the New Testament in the Bible, something changes about what talks about God's glory. Because now it's not this far-off deity, it's put on a person. It's put on Jesus. John 1.14 makes it really clear when it says, The Word, and the Word is Jesus, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's perfect character, God's all-powerful nature was put on earth in a being named Jesus. And we get to see him throughout the New Testament. We get to see his glory. We get to see his character. We get to see his love. And we get to see his redeeming plan through the person of Jesus. And that's how we get to see God's glory. But we actually don't get to see God's glory the way that we'd always expect to. That's true for the Christmas story. Uh, I'm going to read Luke 2, 4 to 7, and I want you to imagine this is the first time you've heard it, and you don't really understand who this is, who Mary and Joseph is, or who Jesus is uh, as I read it. And I want you to note what are kind of the normal things that happen, and what are the spectacular things that are, ha- that are happening. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, there's some odd things in this passage, maybe questions about why they had to travel at this point or that he was laid in a manger, but nothing truly supernatural seems to be taking place here. There's no uh, angels that came and and coached Mary through the birth. There's no uh, rainbows that erupted as as Jesus was born. It seems pretty normal. In fact, the way that the birth is stated, it says, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn. Kind of like, it was time, so it happened. Like, it was time to take a pill, so I took a pill. Or it was time to end work for the day, so we ended work for the day. Now, ladies, don't throw a shoe at the TV. I'm just kidding. It's a lot harder than that. But it's interesting because Luke would have understood the details about birthing for a couple reasons. First of all, he was a doctor. So he would have known some of the intricacies and the pain that it took Mary to actually go through this. And many believe that Luke also interviewed Mary, the mother, about before writing this book of Luke. And she could have given him great details about what happened, and she probably did in one way or another. But Luke doesn't record them in this book, most likely because Jesus' birth was pretty average compared to everybody else. There wasn't anything different that happened in in this instance than what you would expect from a normal birth in first century Jewish Jewish culture. And why that's important is because it's completely unexpected for what God would do. Because you'd expect for the God of the universe, the, the glory of God being put in a human form, there'd be something great that happens. But it doesn't happen here. Even the town that's noted is is Bethlehem. That's not a a great city where the military powers or political powers are. It was just a shadow of Jerusalem, which is just six miles away. But it happens here in this seemingly unimportant place to these seemingly unimportant part, if you just read this section of scripture. And that's what I want to, the first point I want to make is that God's glory is not always where and when we expect it. We're not always going to see God's glory where and when we expect it. But God's glory does show up. It doesn't show up in the manger scene. It shows up in a field nearby with the shepherds. And that happens in verses 8 to 12. Uh, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid.' the, the shepherds were sitting in a field at nighttime. Maybe they were drifting off to sleep, or, or maybe there was one of them awake trying to watch the sheep, making sure none walked off, or, or predators didn't come and attack them. But it was pretty quiet. And then an angel shows up, and they were terrified. Maybe you've had a time where you go into a, the car, and whoever was in the car previous to you was listening to the music really loudly, and it startles you. Or if you wake up from the dead of night and and a light turns on or there's a noise and you wake up and your heart's pounding because you're terrified. You can only imagine the fear that these angels or that these shepherds felt as the angel appears before them and announces that the Messiah is born. The one that they've been longing for, the one that they've been hoping for, the one that would save them from their oppression and sins. It was finally here. And it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. They would have had uh, knowledge of of the Messiah coming. And maybe they would have thought of uh, Isaiah 61 to 3, which talks about the glory of the Lord shining. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come down, come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, the, the darkness uh, could reference uh, literal darkness, but uh, like the shepherds saw in the night sky, and then the glory, the light of the angels appeared. But also it means the figurative darkness, that the people were hurting and broken and needing of a Savior, needing a Messiah to come, that God had come in the form of baby Jesus to save them. And this would have excited them so much, even more than you might get excited by the thoughts of COVID being eradicated, that, that for once that they were free, they'd be justified and they'd, their nation would be free from the Roman rule. But that's not the only way that the glory of God shows, because it continues. It, in verse 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The shepherds were scared of just one angel, and, and here it says, a great company of the heavenly host. Uh, another way to translate that is a multitude of the heavenly armies. I don't know about you, but I'd be scared if I saw a multitude of the heavenly armies, and they were terrified by just one. I'm pretty sure they're happy that it started with one uh, rather than starting with all of them or else they may have needed to change their shorts. But here they're they're, uh, seeing the glory of God by the armies of heaven coming to announce glory to God. See, in that manger scene, something amazing happened, even though it seemed pretty average, that Jesus was born, the Messiah, glory to God in the highest, had come to earth and on earth, that glory appears through Jesus. The the shepherds would have been just so amazed by this. We too want to see God's glory sometimes, but it's not always where we expect it. We may be asking God to uh, heal somebody and to show his goodness and power and love by healing them. Or we may be asking God to, to stop a worldwide pandemic and he could do some of these things, but he might not. It's not always our job to figure out why or when God will show his goodness, his glory, his love, his power, but it is our job to respond when he does. It is our duty to respond when God shows his glory. And the shepherds show us how they should. In verse 15 to 20, it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. these uh, shepherds were not instructed actually to go and see the baby Jesus. The angels told them about it, but they could have stayed in their uh, by their sheep and watched their sheep. But when they got a glimpse of God's glory, they were compelled to see more. And that's the same thing for us. When we experience God's glory, we desire more. They could have let many obstacles stop them. They could have let their sheep stop them. They had a job to do out in the field. And they could have thought, uh, maybe some predators are going to come or somebody's going to steal the sheep and we should stay out here. Or they could have thought about Mary and Joseph and their tired parents in the middle of the night with a baby and we should let them sleep. Or even they th- could think, who are we? I'm just a shepherd. I'm dirty. I'm stinky. I don't deserve to see this new Messiah. But they overcame these obstacles Their their duties, their tasks, what people thought of them, or even their self-doubt, to go and experience God's glory more. And the same thing's often true for us. That sometimes we may have to uh, overcome tasks, overcome what other people think about us, or overcome our own self-doubt to experience God's glory in a new and greater way. And just as the shepherds, they may have to risk something. It may cost us something worldly, something uh, of this, uh, something natural. But what you receive when you experience God's glory is so much greater. Because once they saw, first of all, the angels and then saw a baby, they became messengers of God's glory. Because when we, become, we experience God's glory, we become messengers of his glory. And they're able to share that glory, that goodness, that, that joyous occasion with other people. And it says that all they told were amazed at what they had heard. Now, you can imagine them going house to house. This is possibly the middle of the night, knocking on doors, waking people up. You can even think maybe they went to their boss's house who owns the sheep, and they see the shepherds going, okay, what happened to my sheep? And them telling this boss of the amazement of what happened. And some people may have thought they're crazy. I mean, they're just shepherds. Why would God do this to them at this point? But even more so, all of them were amazed. And all of them got to experience and hear about God's glory. What happened that night? Not all of them got to see angels. Not all of them got to see the baby Jesus. But all of them got a glimpse of who God is because of what the shepherds did. And that's the same thing for us too sometimes. Maybe we want to experience God's glory in in greater ways in one way or another. And we might not get to see things the way that other people have seen them or experienced them. But God invites us still to be excited in his glory, in who he is, and invites us closer to him. So as the uh, shepherds continued, they shared with the people around them, and then they went back to their sheep, glorifying and praising God. It's important to note that they didn't get new jobs, they didn't become priests, they didn't uh, become political leaders, They didn't all of a sudden become uh, sheep moguls who had a thriving business. They just went back to what they had always done, shepherding, but doing it while glorifying and praising God. Just last week, uh, I went to play disc golf, and I went when uh, I was in a tired week, and I went by myself, and I was just listening to praise music, and it was really a time to refresh and relax as I just kind of walked around and and threw my disc. But in the back of my mind... I had this thought that I was gonna have a really good game because I was going there to worship God. And I started and I had a couple good holes and I was like, all right, this is gonna be great. I can worship God as I do really well. And then I had a couple bad holes where I was like, okay, you know what? I can worship God through trials and I can have joy even in this instance and I can persevere. And my game actually went up and down, and I kind of kept on having these thoughts in the back of my mind without realizing it, until close to the end I realized I'm having a pretty average game, some good shots, some bad shots, lots of shots in the middle. And what I realized is my faulty theology is that I can best worship God in the peaks of life or in the valleys of life, but most of my life is going to be somewhere in between those two things. It's the everyday Tuesdays where I have a couple jobs to do or it's, it's watching my, my kids when I'm tired or there's a lot of different ways that I can just maybe not thrive, maybe not uh, be sinking or in difficult circumstances, but in our everyday lives, we can glorify God with whatever we're doing. Just like the shepherds, they went back to their sheep, glorifying and praising God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 uh, talks about how we can do it uh, how we can glorify God in our everyday life. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, not just when you're thriving, not just when you're in a difficult time, but in the everyday life, you can glorify and praise God. And when we can experience God's glory, we can be a messenger of his glory to others. These shepherds went back to their sheep, and they didn't have that new job, but they had a new purpose. They had a new focus to glorify God. 2,000 years later, we're celebrating Christmas, just as this was uh, the first Christmas celebration. And, but sometimes our focus can get off track. Sometimes we can be too focused on what our circumstances are, what it's taken away from us, and what the season is really about. We can get focused on the presents we need to buy or the hustle and bustle or the events or, or everything that needs to be made happen for us to have a happy Christmas or a merry Christmas. But what these uh, shepherds realized is it wasn't about all these things. It was about something more. Even the Grinch talks about uh, these things, that Christmas came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without po- packages, boxes, or bags. Then the Grinch thought of something. He hadn't before. What if Christmas? He thought, meant uh, doesn't come from a store. What if Christmas perhaps means a whole lot more? Now the Grinch actually says, "What if it was a little bit more?" Because what the Grinch thought Christmas was about was about family and being together and love, and those things are a little bit more than packages and boxes and bags. But what the shepherds realized is that Christmas is actually about a whole lot more. It's about the birth of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah who came to rescue us, to show God's glory to us, so that we can all experience him in a greater and more profound way. Not just uh, in our heads, but in our hearts and in our minds and in our daily lives. And, while, and when we pursue Jesus to be the center of our Christmas, we can experience those that are good things like love and joy and, and peace and being together with family. But if we're just looking for those things, for peace, for joy, that means we're not actually looking for Christmas to be about Christ. We're looking at it to be about ourselves. It's about self-ness or I-ness, which I'm sure Apple would love if it named it that. But the season is about christ Maybe that's what you just need to call it this year to remind yourself about what the real meaning of the season is. It's christ And while we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, we also need to remember the death of Jesus. And that's actually the second part of the word, Christ mass. Whereas mass references communion, which is the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples the night before he was betrayed. And and he said it, it symbolized how his death would be the sacrifice needed to free them from their sins, to reconcile them to God. Because Jesus came not just to live on earth, to be born, to show his goodness, to show his power, to show his love, but he came to die so that you can have reconciliation with him. If you're celebrating communion with us, I'm going to invite you to uh, get your uh, elements now, the bread or crackers or a drink. Because we're going to actually celebrate the mass part of Christmas. And as Jesus sat with his closest friends the day before he would die, in 1 Corinthians 11:23, it says, "The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Would you take the bread in remembrance of Jesus' death? In the same way, after supper, he, Jesus, took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together to remember Jesus' blood spilt for us. This Christmas. I want to invite you to experience God's glory in a greater way. To experience him for who he really is. Not only as the one who came to live on earth. To show us how to be perfect. To heal many people. To show his power and his love. But also the one who came to die for your sins. So that you can have life and life eternal. And reconciliation with the God of the universe. I don't know what that looks like for you. How can you experience uh, glorifying God this Christmas? How can you experience God's glory this Christmas? It's going to look different for all of us. For some of us, it might be while we're grieving to go to him for comfort, for strength, so that we can endure and we can experience his glory in that way. For others, it, it might be reflecting on a Christmas carol and what it really means It might be meditating on God's word or or being generous with our time. Whatever it is, this Christmas, I want to invite you. I know it's not going to be the Christmas that you expected. I know it's not going to be the Christmas that's going to be the perfect white snow where all of your family is going to be together. But this Christmas can have more meaning than just family and love and joy. It can be about the birth and the death of the savior of the world. The God who loved you so much, He not only would come to live, but he came to die for you. May you glorify God this Christmas and be a messenger of that glory to others. Let's pray. God, I first thank you. I thank you for who you are, your power, your love, your goodness. And I thank you that you show who you are to us. And ultimately, you showed us, not only by coming, by being born, but by dying for us, that we can receive redemption and reconciliation and freedom and peace and love and light and joy in the midst of our everyday life, even when our circumstances are hard. God, I pray especially now for those who are experiencing a hard Christmas season, that they would find you and glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.